I have to tell the people about the Patreon. Yes, you do. Patreon.com slash SMDB. SMDB, like so many damn books. For just a dollar, you can join up and you get access to all the exclusive content that I record just for the Patreon. Also, you get to join the book club. The So Many Damn Books book club. It's been some of the best conversations I've had about books. It really always sounds like a blast. I usually like come home and just hear like giggles coming from the library. So it's a great time. You should join. And I would love to have more people join the fray. You may or may not know that Christopher runs this whole show himself on the hosting side, on the technical side, everything. This is a one-man show, truly. He does it all. Support your boy Christopher. Even at the dollar level really helps. So uh, join up patreon.com slash smdb i'd love to have you patreon.com slash smdb on with the show so there's this new collection of short stories that are retold fairy tales have you heard about this oh yeah it's uh far away the new amazon original stories collection right exactly we've got rainbow rowell nick stone soman chanani Ken Liu and Gail Foreman all taking these old fairy tales and twisting them and making them their own. I mean, who doesn't love going back to those stories that we all grew up with about evil queens and charmless princesses and star-crossed lovers and finding authors who we love now in 2020 doing their own cool riffs on those classic stories? It's some of my absolute favorite things. I mean, I love when Helen Oyeyemi does it. And I love, you know, when Amy Bender does it. And now I'm really excited about checking out what all of these authors are going to do with these old familiar stories. The collection is available now. You can get it in audiobook. You can get it in ebook. Amazon Prime members can listen and read for free. Just need to get ready. Prepare yourself because these stories, they're going to scare you. They're going to charm you. They're going to move you. They're going to make you feel magic all over again. You can download them at amazon.com slash farawaystories. That's amazon.com slash farawaystories. Right before we're recording and I'm just like shoe shoe shopping. Hey, man, you know what I mean? I was just playing Magic the Gathering. Oh, yeah. Well, dude, I'm... Oh, it's so... You're back in, huh? My childhood... Um, joy rediscovered in a way that also because like right now like <laughs> it's a day where I'm like I'm depressed I can't work I don't know what to do it's like well I might as well waste four hours playing Magic the Gathering because it brings me joy so many so many so many damn books welcome to so many damn books I'm Christopher I'm Drew and we are this is a little, you know, Christmas holiday treat, a stocking stuffer, if you will. Yeah, we're not doing a usual, like, big, um, fun holiday episode this year. And we thought instead, I don't know, it's been nice to be making all of these things, having something to do this year. And we thought maybe it'd be nice to have something to listen to for the rest of the year. Yeah, so we're making little episodes. And this one, um, we had such a good time back in the summer doing these Tales from the Public Domain finding stuff, you know, that uh, the copyright has passed and now we can read them out loud to you <laughs> without fear of real <laughs> retribution. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. 
over the last couple of months, I know that I have been feeling stressed and super anxious and starting, be? I know, right? Starting therapy has been a, a huge transformative help. Um, and BetterHelp is one of the coolest new services out there to help you find a therapist. So BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling that you can start communicating with a therapist in under 24 hours, uh, send a message to your counselor anytime. It's really wonderful. It's, it's meant to, particularly in this time where we can't be going to people's offices and you, you know, it was always kind of stressful to think about, oh, I want to like, I'm going to go sit on a couch across from somebody for a while. Mm -hmm. This is great. It's more affordable. Financial aid is available. It is available worldwide. Um, and counselors are specialized in, in everything and anything that you could possibly feel like you want to talk about depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping. not sleeping well. I mean, mm -hmm. trauma, anger, grief, all and of anything it. Anything you share with them is confidential, just like a real therapist. These are It's convenient. It's professional. It's affordable. And uh, you can go to BetterHelp's website if you want to see some more testimonials. So many people have been using it that they're actually recruiting additional counselors everywhere. Um, we want you to live a happier life. And so as a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash so many damn books. You can join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash so many damn books. I'm excited to uh, bring you what I've made and what Drew made. And yeah, would you want to tell them a little bit about what you did? So longtime listeners of the show uh, have heard me talk about the folks at Hingston and Olson before. They are a design slash publishing company run out of Canada. They are awesome. They did the Ghost Box that was edited by Patton Oswalt. They've just put out something called Projections that was edited by Rebecca Romney. And for, I believe, six years, they've done a short story advent calendar. This year, 2020, was actually the last installment for the time being. But the idea is that, like an advent calendar, every day for the month of December leading up to Christmas, you open a new story. I've really loved stories in this collection for a long time. Last year, I even tried reading every single one of them on Instagram Live, although I ran out of time and energy. So this one is a story out of last year's box that I didn't get around to reading on Instagram. I deeply enjoyed this one. It's kind of more of an essay, I guess, but kind of a funny essay. I don't know. It's A.A. A. Milne, the guy who wrote Winnie the Pooh, who it turns out also wrote very funny stuff for grown-ups. I won't say much more than that, but I think you're going to enjoy it. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Over the last couple of months, I know that I have been feeling stressed and super anxious. How could and you not starting, be? I know, right? Starting therapy has been a, a huge transformative help. Um, and BetterHelp is one of the coolest new services out there to help you find a therapist. So BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. It's not 
self-help. It's professional counseling that you can start communicating with a therapist in under 24 hours, uh, send a message to your counselor anytime. It's really wonderful. It's, it's meant to, particularly in this time where we can't be going to people's offices and you, you know, it was always kind of stressful to think about, oh, I want to like, I'm going to go sit on a couch across from somebody for a while. Mm-hmm. This is great. It's more affordable. Financial aid is available. It is available worldwide. Um, and counselors are specialized in, in everything and anything that you could possibly feel like you want to talk about depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping. not sleeping well. I mean, mm-hmm. Trauma, anger, grief, all and of it. Anything you share with them is confidential, just like a real therapist. These are it's convenient, it's professional, it's affordable. And uh, you can go to BetterHelp's website if you want to see some more testimonials. So many people have been using it that they're actually recruiting additional counselors everywhere. Um, we want you to live a happier life. And so as a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash so many damn books. You can join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash so many damn books. A Hint for Next Christmas by A.A. Milne. There has been some talk lately of the standardization of golf balls, but a more urgent reform is the standardization of Christmas presents. It is no good putting this matter off. Let us take it into hand now, so that we shall be in time for next Christmas. My crusade is on behalf of those who spend their Christmases away from home. Last year, I returned with great difficulty from such an adventure, and I am more convinced than ever that Christmas presents should conform to a certain standard of size. My own little offerings were thoughtfully chosen. A matchbox, a lace handkerchief or two, a cigarette holder, a pencil and notebook, gems from Wilcox, and so on. Such gifts not only bring pleasure, let us hope, to the recipient, but take up a negligible amount of room in one's bag and add hardly anything to the weight of it. Of course, if your fellow visitor says to you, how sweet of you to give me such a darling little handkerchief, it's, it's just what I wanted. However, did you think of it? You do not reply, well, it was a choice between that and a hundredweight of coal, and I'll give you two guesses why I chose the handkerchief. No, you smile graciously, modestly, and say, as soon as I saw it, I felt somehow that it was yours. After which, you are almost in a position to ask your host casually where he keeps the mistletoe. But it is almost a certainty that the presents you receive will not have been chosen with such care. Probably the young son of the house has been going in for carpentry lately, and in return for your tie pin, he gives you a wardrobe of his own manufacture. You thank him heartily, you praise its figure, but all the time you are wishing that it had chosen some other occasion. Your host gives you a statuette or a large engraving. Somebody else turns up with a large brass candlestick. It's all very gratifying, but you've got to get back to London somehow, and thankful though you are not to have received the boar hound or parrot in cage, which seemed at one time to be threatening, you cannot help wishing that the limits of size for a Christmas present had been decreed by some authority who was familiar with the look of your dressing case. Obviously, too, there should be a standard value for a certain type of Christmas present. One may give what one will to one's own family or particular friends. That is all right. But in a Christmas house party, there is a pleasant interchange of parcels of which the string and the brown paper and the kindly thought are the really important ingredients, and the gift inside is nothing more than an excuse for these things. 
It is embarrassing for you if Jones has apologized for his brown paper with a hundred cigars, and you have only excused yourself with twenty-five cigarettes. Perhaps still more embarrassing if it is you who have lost so heavily on the exchange. An understanding that the contents were to be worth five shillings exactly would avoid this embarrassment. And, and now I am reminded of the ingenuity of a friend of mine, William by name, who arrived at a large country house for Christmas without any present in his bag. He had expected neither to give nor receive anything, but to his horror he discovered on the 24th that everybody was preparing for a Christmas present for him, and that it was taken for granted that he would require a little privacy and brown paper on Christmas Eve for the purpose of addressing his own offerings to others. He had wild thoughts of telegraphing to London for something to be sent down, and spoke to other members of the house party in order to discover what sort of presents would be suitable. "'What are you giving our host, P?' he asked one of them. "'Mary and I are giving him a book,' said John, referring to his wife. William then approached the youngest son of the house and discovered that he and his next brother Dick were sharing in this, that, and the other. When he had heard this, William retired to his room and thought profoundly. He was the first down to breakfast on Christmas morning. All the places at the table were piled high with presents. He looked at John's place. The top parcel said, "'To John and Mary, from Charles.'" William took out his fountain pen and added a couple of words to the inscription, so that it then read, To John and Mary, from Charles and William, and in William's opinion, uh, looked just as effective as before. He moved on to the next place, To Angela from Father, said the top parcel, And William, wrote William. At his hostess's place, he hesitated for a moment. The first present there was for darling mother from her loving children. It did not seem that an and William was quite suitable. But his hostess was not to be deprived of William's kindly thought. Twenty seconds later, the handkerchiefs from John and Mary and William expressed all the nice things which he was feeling for her. He passed on to the next place. It is, of course, impossible to thank every donor of a joint gift. One simply thanks the first person whose eye one happens to catch. Sometimes William's eye was caught, and sometimes not. But he was spared all embarrassment, and I can recommend his solution of the problem with perfect confidence to those who may be in a similar predicament next Christmas. There is also a minor sort of Christmas present about which also a few words must be said. I refer to the Christmas card. The Christmas card habit is a very pleasant one, but it, too, needs to be disciplined. I doubt if many people will understand its proper function. This is partly the result of our bringing up, as children we were allowed, quite rightly, to run wild in the Christmas card shop, with one of two results. Either we still run wild, or else the reaction has set in and we avoid the Christmas card shop altogether. We convey our printed wishes for a happy Christmas to everybody or to nobody. This is a mistake. In our middle age, we should discriminate. The child does not need to discriminate. It has two shillings in the hand and about 24 relations, and even in my time, two shillings did not go far among 24 people. But though presents were out of the question, one could get 24 really beautiful Christmas cards for the money, and if some of them were halfpenny ones, then one could afford real snow on a threepenny one for the most important uncle. Meaning by most important, perhaps, although I have forgotten now, the one most likely to be generous in return. Of the fun of choosing those 24 cards, I need not now speak, nor of the best method of seeing to it that somebody else paid for the necessary 24 stamps, but certainly one took more trouble in suiting the tastes of those who were to receive the cards than the richest and most leisured grown-up would take in selecting a diamond necklace for his wife's stocking or motor cars for his son-in-law. It is not only a question of snow, but of the words in which the old, old wish was expressed. If the aunt, who was known to be fond of poetry, did not get something suitable from Eliza Cook, one might regard her Christmas as ruined. 
How could one grudge the trouble necessary to make her Christmas really happy for her? One might even explore the fourpenny box. But in middle age, by which I mean anything over 20 and under 90, one knows too many people. One cannot give them a Christmas card each. There's not enough powdered glass to go around. One has to discriminate, and the way in which most of us discriminate is either to send no cards to anybody or to send them the first 20 or 50 or 100 of our friends, according to our income and energy, whose names come into our minds. Such cards are meaningless, but if we sent our Christmas cards to the right people, we could make the simple words on them mean something very much more than a mere wish that the recipient's Christmas shall be merry, which it will be anyhow, if they like merriness, or their new year bright, which, let us hope, it will not be. A Merry Christmas, with an old church in the background and a robin in the foreground surrounded by a wreath of holly leaves, it might mean so much. What I feel that it ought to mean is something like this. You live at Potter's Bar, and I live in Petersham. Of course, if we did happen to meet at the Marble Arch one day, it would be awfully jolly, and we could go and have lunch together somewhere and talk about old times. But our lives have drifted apart since those old days. It's partly the fault of the train service, no doubt. Glad as I should be to see you, I don't like to ask you to come all the way to Petersham for dinner, and if you asked me to Potter's Bar, well, I should come, but it would be something of a struggle, and I thank you for not asking me. Besides, we have made different friends now, and our tastes are different. After we had talked about the old days, I doubt if we should have much to say to each other. Each of us would think the other a bit of a bore, and our wives would wonder why we'd ever been friends at Liverpool. But don't think I've forgotten you. I just sent this card to let you know that I'm still alive, still at the same address, and I still remember you. No need, if we ever do meet, or if we ever want each other's help, to begin by saying, I suppose you've quite forgotten those old days at Liverpool. We have neither of us forgotten, and so let us send to each other once a year a sign that we have not forgotten and that once upon a time we were friends. A Merry Christmas to you. This is what a Christmas card should say. It is absurd to say this to a man or woman whom one is perpetually ringing up on the telephone, to one whom somebody met last week or with whom one is dining the week after, to a man whom one may run across the club on almost any day, or a woman whom one knows to shop daily at the same stores as oneself. It is absurd to say to a correspondent to whom one often writes, Let us reserve our cards for the old friends who've dropped out of our lives, and let them reserve their cards for us. But, of course, we must have kept their addresses. Otherwise, we should have to print our cards publicly, as I'm doing now. Old friends will please accept this. The only imitation. Okay, and so Christopher, what did you bring to show the class? Ah, yes. Well, I... I did a little bit of a deep dive on the Christmas trees. I have this book... Um, inventing the Christmas tree, which I was rereading. And I thought I would share some of the things that I found as well as this really cool New York Times article about the first electrically lit Christmas tree. I love Christmas trees. Bringing the outside inside in the form of an enormous bobble covered tree is an endless source of enchantment. According to Bern Bruner, author of Inventing the Christmas Tree, the search for the first Christmas tree is a quixotic one. You'll find a tree mentioned but not named as such as far back as 1419, decorated with apples and gingerbread in a hospital. In 1554, it became illegal to fell trees for Christmas in Freiburg. In 1561, Upper Alsace tried to limit tree felling to one per citizen, one pine in the length of eight shoes. 
But Christmas trees as we know them and the familial tradition of bringing it indoors to cover in light and decoration is as new as the 18th century when architecture allowed for trees to be brought indoors and displayed and people had the free time to cover it in decorations. That is something that has always interested me. Decorations through the ages. The first trees were filled with fruit and wooden toys and eventually spun sugar and elaborate pastry, and children were given the chance to shake the tree to see what fell. Apples especially were some of the very first tree decorations, and in 1858, necessity was the mother of invention when a drought in Alsace inspired glass-blown apples to be put in place of the real apples that they missed. Christmas trees used to be lit with candles pinned to branches. Martin Luther is said apocryphally to be the first to light a candle on a Christmas tree, although his hometown region didn't adopt the Christmas tree practice until after his time. The candles were often the source of fires, and more than one region banned candles on trees. An inventor in the 1870s made an improved Christmas tree that was made of cast iron with little openings where gas could ignite. Of course, the flames were blue, and the thing hissed. In 1884, possibly the very first electrically lit tree got a write-up in the New York Times. I'm going to read that article in full from December 27th, 1884. Many thanks to Tina Jordan, editor of the New York Times Book Review, who put this article up on Twitter. In and about the city, a brilliant Christmas tree, how an electrician amused his children. A pretty as well as novel Christmas tree was shown to a few friends by Mr. E.H. Johnson, president of the Edison Company for Electric Lighting, last evening in his residence, number 139 East 36th Street. The tree was lighted by electricity, and children never beheld a brighter tree or one more highly colored than the children of Mr. Johnson when the current was turned and the tree began to revolve. Mr. Johnson has been experimenting with house lighting by electricity for some time past, and he determined that his children should have a novel Christmas tree. It stood about six feet high in an upper room last evening and dazzled persons entering the room. There were 120 lights on the tree, with globes of different colors, with the light tinsel work and usual adornment of Christmas trees appearing to their very best advantage in illuminating the tree. Mr. Johnson had placed a little Edison dynamo at the foot of the tree, which, by passing a current through from the large dynamo in the cellar of the house, converted it into a motor. By means of this motor, the tree was made to revolve with a steady, regular motion. The lights were divided into six sets, one set of which was lighted at a time in front as the tree went round. By a simple device of breaking and making connection through copper bands around the tree with corresponding buttons, the sets of lights were turned out and on at regular intervals as the tree turned round. The first combination of pure white light. Then, as the revolving tree severed the connection of the current that supplied it and made connection with the second set, red and white lights appeared. Then came yellow and white and other colors. Even combination of the colors were made. By dividing the current from the large dynamo, Mr. Johnson could stop the motion of the tree without putting out the lights. The mechanism by which the shifting of the lights is made has been patented by Mr. Johnson, who believes that its use will be invaluable in scenic effects. The changes can be made with clockwork regularity. While the field for combinations and effects is almost unlimited, there is no house in the city in which electrical lighting is put to more novel uses than in Mr. Johnson's. As one enters the parlor, a bright grate fire attracts attention. 
On examination, the discovery is made that it is of colored paper, which is never consumed, but under which electric lights are hidden. The brilliancy of effect of the painting on a porcelain urn surprises the visitor. Inside the jar is an electric light. The brightness of the chandeliers and brackets is emphasized by means of the electric lights. The house is the first in the city in which electric lights were supplied from a current generated in an isolated plant. The dynamo is in the cellar and makes so little noise that it cannot be heard on the floor above. A small engine supplies the dynamo, and the steam, after running the dynamo, is used in heating the house. Mr. Johnson's experiments have proved most satisfactory in almost every respect, and he has promised to make a connection with one or two of his neighbor's houses that they may also be lighted with electricity. Ladies and gents, kids and cats, dogs too, uh, thank you so much for listening to our little holiday special. We hope it kept you warm around your Festivus pole or your Christmas tree or your Yule log or whatever you might be doing to celebrate or just stay warm this week, this uh, darkest week of the year. And, you know, to, to help the keep the darkness at bay, we are going to be back next week with a week between episode just to talk about, I don't know, all the stuff that happened it's in honestly homes. <laughs> it's really going to uh, it's going to depend on the United States Postal Service getting our respective presents oh, to one another. I, I know. I feel like I feel like I, anytime I see any um, Postal Service records, I just want to stand and salute like, yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you for your service. <laughs> we'll have something to talk about. It'll be warm. It'll be cheery. Yeah. And so I hope everybody has a nice holiday. Uh, no matter what you celebrate, I hope you have a nice week. And Indeed. we will be back. We'll see you next week, folks. Bye. Bye. Bye.